Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Simon Hughes and this is the Analyst Inside Cricket. The Ashes is less than a month away and Ben Stokes' situation is still to be resolved, which is one cause for pessimism for England fans, but perhaps a cause for optimism is the character and form at the moment of Johnny Bairstow, who has just brought his book out, A Clear Blue Sky, in partnership with the award-winning writer Duncan Hamilton, telling us all about his life and how he dealt with the terrible circumstances of discovering his father's suicide when he was just eight years old and how it has made him such a strong character. So we're going to hear from him later and also just talk about how he helps England's cause. You can win some signed copies of Johnny Bairstow's book, Clear Blue Sky, as well. We've got some of those to give away, so keep listening. A little competition for you after the break. So you've been talking to Johnny about his book. There was an event last week at, at Headingley. How did you find him? It's, it's uplifting, I think, listening to, to his story. I mean, obviously, he's had a lot of soul-searching to do in producing this book, A Clear Blue Sky. And I think he, he's, he's learned a lot about himself, but I think he's also he'll help other people deal with adversity because it really is a, a very uplifting story about triumphing over adversity, both in the case of himself and the rest of his family, because, of course, his mother was actually suffering from cancer when... David Bairstow suddenly decided to take his own life and they've come through this you know so powerfully and the message that they they portray and and evoke in this book is just one of you know don't give up you can achieve all sorts of things even though God or whatever has handed you a terrible calamity in your life and there are so many phrases and so many examples of of Johnny's strength of character coming back from all sorts of situations, both in his personal life and in his cricketing life, that I think should give England cause for optimism. And just a reminder about David, he, he killed himself in January 1998. He played 25 times for England. He had a remarkable first-class career. He played 459 first-class matches, 429 one-day games. He was 46 years 
of age. I worked with him a little bit. You must have played against him a lot. I played against him a hell of a lot. And uh, he was a, an exuberant character, sort of larger than life, uh, always happy to have a word uh, against the opposition. You know, he was, a, he was a bit of a sledger, but in a but in a funny way. And I, I you know, I often tell the story of the time I I ran up to bowl to him, and I was about to bowl to him in a, a match at Headingley, and uh, I said to Mike Gatting, as he was a well-known puller and hooker of the ball, I said to to Mike Gatting, the captain, Middlesex, I said, "Can I have square leg a bit deeper for Bluey?" And Bearstow overheard, and he said, "Well, if I get hold of it, you'll need him a lot bloody deeper," and. You know, he was an intimidating presence on the field, but he always did everything with a smile. He was so committed, so intense in in the way that he played. And you just couldn't imagine anybody less likely to commit suicide, which is is what he did. I mean, it it is amazing sport cricket for suicides. I mean, it's obviously a depressing subject, but David Frith, in fact, has written two books about it, one called By Their Own Hand and then a a follow-up called Silence of the Heart, in which he actually reports that there have been something like 150 suicides in cricket, some of them professionals, some of them England players. One of the most famous was Arthur Shrewsbury, the England captain in the early part of the 1900s, who shot himself. And there have been so many awful stories of both amateur and professional cricketers who've, who've taken their own life. I knew three. I knew David Bairstow, Danny Kelleher, who played for Surrey and Kent... And also Mark Saxelby, who played for Durham, Kevin Saxelby's brother. All of them took their lives in different ways. All of them obviously beyond despair in, in their lives that nobody realised. It's good that the PCA now seem to have a much better handle on all this and do a lot more for players behind the scenes if there's any suspicion or suggestion that they're feeling down. What was it like in your day? What was that support like in your day? Was it non-existent? It was non-existent. Uh, you know, it was almost like you, you were too cool for school to actually admit you felt down in any way. In fact, I remember once, uh, I mean, this is a weird story, I suppose, but I was late for um, the photo call one year at Middlesex, and it was because I was breaking up with my wife at the time. And, you know, I was incredibly down about it, obviously, and I got to the the photo call, and everyone said, well, where have you been? And I said, well, my wife's just left me. And and the general response was, well, you're not exactly Richard Gere, are you? rather than, oh, you poor yeah. thing. So no sympathy at all. No sort of dressing all. room banter, lack of sympathy. And I think that was that was very consistent with what the, you know, it's a man's world and you've got to man up and deal with it kind of thing. And what clearly the, the, the counties do now, which is very good, I mean, Middlesex is an example of it, is they line the players up with degree courses at places like Hertfordshire University, and a lot of them are studying for various degrees this winter, to give them something else to do, something else to think about, a realisation that there's more to life than cricket, something they can really get their teeth into, which will give them something to do afterwards. That was one of David Bairstow's issues, was you know he left this sort of big, warm, happy family of cricket mm. and hadn't really found anything else constructive to do. He tried a few business ideas, hadn't worked, and that's obviously what, what partly caused him to feel so down. There's a lot of time for brooding in cricket as well, a lot of time for thinking about your failure. Other team sports like rugby and football, your failure, unless you're a goalkeeper, say, or a, a place kicker in, in rugby if you miss lots of kicks, it's sort of less obvious. But in cricket, your facts and figures are up there, so your failure, if you've had bad days, it's just up there the whole time. There's a lot of time to think about it as well. And, and it's just, it's so all-consuming as a sport. You know, it takes all day and then you... Re- recap the game afterwards, you know, blow by blow in the bar or whatever. 
and it, you know it, it examines your character doesn't it as well as your technique mm. you know especially a longer form of the game it is very all-encompassing and, and sort of consuming. And suddenly, when you're cast out, you feel like you're spent and you haven't got any identity anymore because that was your identity. And I think a lot of players have had trouble dealing with that in the past. How did you cope with giving up the game? Well, I was lucky because I had journalism. And so I was always writing, even when I was 23. And that's something else to do all the time. Obviously, you know, I had a good family and people were kind of rounded. But I think it's partly having another string to your bow. And I, I, I loved writing, still do, and obviously talking. And uh, it, it gives you something else to focus on. I, I mean, you know, I've had a longer career now in the media than I had as a player. So it shows that if you do do the groundwork when you're in your 20s, you can have another career. So that's where the PCA comes in, really, and, and clubs are helping their players a lot more now. Of course, Johnny Bairstow was, was a youngster. He was a young lad when he discovered his, his father had committed suicide and they, they went into the house with, with his family and he'd hanged himself. Um, he's been talking about that in the book, hasn't he? And he's been speaking to you about sort of the aftermath of it as well. Yeah, so we were at a live event in front of 200 people, including his mother and his sister and an extended family. And Johnny talks about the indescribable experience of discovering his father hanging from the, the banisters when he was just eight years old and what it was like growing up without a father. If you come out of an experience like this saying that you haven't learned, haven't learned anything, then you've got to kind of ask yourself some questions. Um, learn a lot about, about different things, like, like I'm sure that... Uh, the the family have look it's not it's not just me that's had um, yeah, yeah. input into the book it's it's not just me that's this is going to have an impact on it's it's the family it's our close friends it's people yes had an opinion uh, twenty years ago in January that that's that's an opinion that you lot write in papers um, which is which is sometimes not which is sometimes not right mm. which is sometimes incorrect um, and sometimes so far off uh, off the mark um, without taking into account people's feelings, taking into account um, people's families. Don't have feelings. Well, I know that. <laughs> um, without taking into account people's feelings, people's families that they're at home. Um, it's not nice when, when you've got people that are outside, outside your gates, outside the front door, mm. uh, so you can't walk to school the next day, so you're getting hassled, people turning up at mm. my grandparents' house, asking for this, asking for that. Mm. We, had to go over to, we had to go over the back fields in order to get to school. That's not right. For people to then go and, to then go and write things that are factually incorrect and p people's opinions about things that they don't actually know about. I think that's, in my opinion, very wrong. Mm. You yourself got to 17 before you were able to, to properly grieve, in a way. Um, tell us just about that. Yeah, that I mean, I, I had to... All of a sudden, at the age of, of eight, you're like the man of the house, aren't you? You've got to take on other bits and that you don't really know about. You don't know what's going to come. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not the best at opening up about things to, to people, which is why Duncan's done such a good job. Uh, I'd kept it, kept it in for a long, long time, um, and then 16, we went on the lads trip after the GCSEs down to Newquay <laughs> uh, with all the boys. We had brown wife beater vests on and 
names on the back and looked proper cool. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Looking back, you're going, what are you doing? Um, like, I'm sure everyone in the room has got those photos. Um, and we were sat, I'll never forget it, we were sat on Great Western Beach uh, in, in Newquay. And the sun had gone down, we'd gone to the shop, we'd got a couple of barbecues, the disposable barbecues. It was like a, a barbecue area with seating around it. And we were sat and we'd met some people from Wales. Um, and so everyone sat around, going around the, the group, asked, oh, so what did your dad do? And they went, oh, X, Y, Z. Came to me, I said, oh, my dad passed away when I was young. And someone laughed. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but that just literally just something, something triggered. And I got up and said, I don't want to ever see you lot again. If you're, if you're laughing about something like that, you can get out of my sight. And I just went down, I walked down the oh, miles. I walked down this, uh, the slope onto the beach and I legged it. I just needed my, I just ran on the beach and I needed my own, needed my own space. And um, yeah, my best mate followed me and then boom, I had my own time away there. Well, that's Johnny Bairstow. We'll hear more from him after the break. What about uh, Bairstow's immediate future? I mean, it could well be that you know, he's been batting at seven for England. He's been very successful at, at seven. He's come in in so many difficult situations and helped them out. It could well be that he's going to have to go up to number six for the Ashes series. Well, I think he will, because obviously Ben Stokes isn't going to be there probably for the first couple of tests at least. Or possibly all of them. Possibly all of them. And Berso, I think actually probably number six is the right place for him to bat. Seven's too low. Five actually might be a bit too high because he's wicket-keeping and he might have long days in the field. So actually I think six is the perfect spot. He's able to adapt his game from being obviously a rear guard action specialist, obviously coming in frequently with England four or five wickets down and very good at redressing the balance and regaining the initiative. But also he can bat with the tail, he can farm the strike, he can get on top of the bowlers. He's a very adaptable player. Clearly his upbringing, this rather extraordinarily tragic upbringing, has made him a very strong character and that's what England are going to need. Look at his test average, 39 in 45 tests. His average as a wicketkeeper is 46. You, you sort of would expect that average to go down slightly, wouldn't you? But actually, it's gone up, and he really does feel part of the side now. And I think that, in a way, it's a good point you make there. Probably you feel more relaxed if you've got two roles in a team. It might sound onerous to have wicketkeeping and batting, but you know that you've got another string to your bro, so that takes the pressure off your batting to an extent. If you're only a batsman, you've got to perform every time. But because he knows he's also a very good wicketkeeper now, has worked hard on his game, and he doesn't drop too much, he's pretty safe, takes some brilliant catches, he knows that that takes the pressure off his batting, and therefore his batting can be a little freer. And probably that's why his batting average as a keeper is better. Also, of course, his batting average is, is higher at seven than it is at five, which you know, makes that point about that, that freedom that you can play with lower down the order. OK, after the break, your chance to win a signed copy of Johnny Bairstow's new book. And also, Johnny talks about how difficult it was when he was recalled with the Ashes lost in Australia in 2013-14. Uh, welcome back. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket so you just get the programme automatically each week. You can click on the button where it says subscribe. That's how you do it. And thank you for all your reviews. We're still getting plenty of, of reviews and we're taking that on board. Uh, one issue you are raising from time to time is the, the sound issue. Well, we're conscious of it and we're trying to do something about it. Well, Simon is anyway, because you're the technical man. Anyway. That's the first time I've ever been called that. England heading off uh, to the Ashes uh, very shortly, actually, in a, in a few days' time at the end of the week. And then the, the build-up 
begins. I mean, it's already sort of started already, getting comments from Australia already. Mitchell Johnson saying England can win, even without uh, Ben Stokes, which is a slightly surprising Australian view. But we're going to get lots more of this in the build-up. The phony war. Yeah. Glenn Maxwell as well saying in the last few days, if he'd done what... Ben Stokes had done his contract would have been torn up and he'd been forgotten about. Well, you know, we still wait to see what punishment Ben Stokes is going to get. So, you know, just hold fire on that. But you sort of understand the point that Glenn Maxwell was making, but it is about what the police decide to do first. But clearly Johnny Bairstow is going to you know, be a vital factor, especially if England are without Ben Stokes. Difficult time for him last time because he went as the, the backup keeper. England lost the series, Mitchell Johnson blew them away, you know, Graham Swan retired, Jonathan Trott came home after the first test, and then Bairstow was sort of thrust into the team for the fourth test match. Yeah, it must have been weird experience, because you're just the understudy to, to Matt Pryor, and suddenly England have lost the series, and you're in the team, and the, the, the whole tour is unravelling. So it's, it's Boxing Day in Melbourne, where four years before England had trounced Australia, they bowled them out for 98 in the morning session, and suddenly the boot was completely on the other foot. England were struggling. They'd already lost the series. And generally, it was just a, a, a chaotic situation to be drafted in. Johnny Bairstow was recalled, but he said he wasn't really prepared for what he was about to face. I was fourth choice wicketkeeper here at Yorkshire when I first signed my contract. You had Greg Wood in front of me, you had um, Simon Guy and Gerald Brophy in front of me. Um, and it's amazing how things work, uh, how things turn out. I'd never kept a full season for Yorkshire before. All of a sudden, I'm thrusted into the Boxing Day Test match in front of 92,500 people, having never stood next to Alistair Cook, having never kept properly against Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, in, in, in a game, never mind a Test match, in front of 92,500 people. Some people, some people literally rinsed me to shreds that day. And um, I don't think it went. Did I? I don't know. When, when, a nick, when a nick went through between me and Cookie or Chris Rogers, Brody, I'd never, as I say, I was, I'd never done it. Mm. And the experiences that you that you draw from keeping, and the two years that when I got dropped, I kept for two seasons at Yorkshire, and that was the platform for them building because if you don't do it then you're not going to get better actually um, obviously you pay a lot of tribute to, to Bruce French um, mm -hmm. in, in the book and I, I'm fascinated by some of his training methods one of which involves if you drop the ball you've got to get all, take all your kit off it's a pain in the bum that. <laughs> oh. so we were in Australia and uh, Matt Pryor was um, Matt Pryor was obviously keeping and so we went over the backfield literally just in a, in a field of nothing really and well, doing, car park wasn't yeah, it was, yeah and then all of a sudden he, oh, I've got a new idea and I just went oh no here we go what is this <laughs> bearing in mind Frenchie's like earthy shall we say and um, he went right every time you drop a ball bearing in mind there's a bloke stood in front of me that's a shadow batter so he's meant to try and make my life as difficult as possible I had to take pads boots if you drop one yeah pads boots gloves helmet off. Oh, and um, we had one of the Rhino rugby pad suits on. I had to take that off and everything and get put it back on. We did it for about an hour. It's fair to say I dropped plenty as well. <laughs> it, yeah, as I say, that was. There's, there's been some really interesting ones, but I'll go back to when we did about a six week period here at Headingley. Um, 
because I'll be really honest with you, after the South Africa series, Cookie said to me, "Look, we, this you, we need you to we need you to get better." Like I knew, I, I wasn't delusional, but I also knew about what I was actually doing wrong, not what people were saying I was doing wrong with my technique. Factually, I was just standing a foot too wide, six inches too wide, therefore had that left foot movement. But everyone's going, oh, it's this, it's that, it's this, mm. it's that. They've never kept wicket before in, the, in their lives. Mm. And all of a sudden, as soon as one person says it, it spirals. It literally spirals because people listen to, uh, to people. And we, had a, we had about six or seven sessions here. In the, it was horrible. It was horrible weather. Like We were just out on the outfield. We were spraying and doing everything to, to the outfield. And... Um, yeah, Frenchie had his climbing hood up and the bowling machine that was firing out at 52, 54 mile an hour, nicks off the bat, and it was just, it was, yeah, horrible. But that period when it was just me and him out there doing what we needed to do has now got the foundations that hopefully I've been able to build on from that training period that I had. And I look, and there's, there's a bit in here that I'm sure we're going to come to about John, Johnny Wilkinson. Mm. Now he was my he was my inspiration hands down, uh, the admiration that I had for him, the the work ethic that that kind of took me to that that stage. There he worked tirelessly on his own to uh, to become the the man he was, to become the player he was, um, and to become so influential and win games. Because no matter what, when, no matter where that ball came back from Dawson in the two thousand three World Cup, he knew the exact exact position that he needed to be in to, to then kick, kick that drop goal and his attention to detail of that was was so so good and I like it says in the book I wanted to play I wanted to play rugby yeah? and I thought and you were a fly half as well yeah I wasn't quite as good as him though <laughs> I think the only thing we had in common was our names but I want to be keeping wicket uh, for England for as long as I can and try and keep achieving those milestones first on my list is my 50th test cap which I could potentially get in Sydney um, next on your list is your 75 caps then it's your 100 caps because you want to be the wicket keeper that's kept the most times for, for England in your discipline like you mentioned about the world records last year mm. for mm. someone now to go and break that at 1470 runs and the, the wicket keeping dismissals in a year as well is, is going to be tough and you want to keep pushing that forward so the next goal for Johnny Bairstow is that 50th test cap and then 75 and 100 as a wicketkeeper. And there are people saying, oh, they should take the gloves off him, they should give the gloves to Ben Folks and let Johnny Bairstow concentrate on his batting. But he's absolutely emphatic there, isn't he, saying, you know, I want to be England's wicketkeeper batsman. I think he's a workaholic, actually, and I think that's... It suits him to have this dual role. If you watch him sort of on a practice day or even on a day when he's not in the one-day side and he's, he's part of the, the squad, he does so much training and he does so much practice with the gloves on and with the gloves off. I also think because of his multi-sport background, having played rugby, having played football, good hockey player when he was 14, he's got this diversity, not only with the bat, but it, it allows him to, to be very agile, mobile as a wicketkeeper. It allows him to do all the training as well without getting injured and I just think he's, he's this original multi-purpose cricketer who can play all formats can keep wicket can bat and, and he's, he's invaluable so if he does bat at six can you see a time when he goes even higher can you can you see him batting at five consistently he's got, yeah, for I mean, he's got the ability to bat at five but I think that 
I think he wants to keep keep wicket as well. I think he he likes that dual role. So he can only really do that at six yeah. or seven. I mean, seven does feel a bit low for him, doesn't it? Six feels right, but then Stokes is. England's number six, and presumably you'll come back in the future, unless Stokes goes to five and bowls a bit less. For that's example. what I can see. I can think. I think ultimately Stokes will go five, Bairstow six. That's a good combination because Stokes actually has got the ability to mm. score double hundreds, and he's got a very orthodox technique. You know, we've been talking about him in the commentary box. In fact, you know, people saying he's a better player than David Gower. Some people saying mm. good experts of the game saying that uh, he's got. The sky's the limit for Stokes with the bat. Number five for him would be ideal in the future. What a great number six Johnny Bairstow would be. And uh, I think that would suit him perfectly. That's an interesting debate. Stokes or David Gower, both left-handers. Different sort of players. I mean, you watched Gower for your sort of pleasure, really. I mean, he, he was just such a delight. He's delightful. your favourite, isn't he? Well, he was just such a delightful player to watch when it came on. You were, and you were always on edge when you were watching because you didn't know when he was going to slice one to third slip or into the gully. But if he, if he, if he was able to get away, his the way the shots he played were just sensational. I mean, you know, Moen Ali is actually closer, really, to. David Gower and the way he plays than, than Ben Stokes. But Stokes is a, is a different sort of player to, to Gower. It's funny, actually, because you, you think of Gower as someone who, who gave his wicket away and played loose shots, but he scored 8,000 test runs, and you know he was a phenomenal batsman. Exactly, yeah. One of the greatest yeah. England have ever produced. So, really, Moen Ali doesn't quite belong in that category, no. and you could say... I'm talking about just how they look at the crease, the shots they play, really, more than it's, it's this sublime timing, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's the effortlessness that sort of nonchalance of, of just waltzing up the wicket and, you know, just allowing the bat to flow and the ball just, you know, whistling to the boundary with no apparent effort. Yeah, there's something just a bit more ruthless about Ben Stokes' batting. I, I think that would be the comparison. And, and intimidating. And, tim- and intimidating, yeah. Right, it's competition time, Simon, and your chance to win a copy, a signed copy of Johnny Bairstow's new book, Clear Blue Sky. All you have to do is answer this reasonably straightforward question, and it is, how many international matches has Johnny Bairstow played for England? So how many international matches has Johnny Bairstow played for England? So combine test, one days and T20s, and then send your answer to the analyst comp at gmail.com. So that's the analyst comp, all one word, so the analyst comp. Comp, C-O-M-P, at gmail.com, and you could win a signed copy of Johnny Bairstow's new book. That's a good little competition, and uh, good luck with the answers. Quite easy to find. Go on, go on Wikipedia or Crick Info, or even Cricket Archive, actually. Any of those places, you'll find that answer. Probably just Google it, and you'll be there. A nice symmetrical answer as well. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed our, our look at Johnny Bairstow and hearing from him as well. It's a good read, actually, this book, and it's got some very uplifting quotes in it as well, like this one, for instance. Life goes on, it must, and you have to catch happiness as it flies, enjoying it there and then, and for however long it lasts. Good life lesson, that, really. Absolutely. Next week, Mike Brearley, an Ashes-winning captain, and an away Ashes-winning captain, as well as a home Ashes-winning captain. So we'll speak to you then. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 